We're going to read together the whole of Psalm 22. Uh, It's on page 554 in your Bible, or in the church Bible anyway. And um, it's headed like this. For the director of music, to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my sorry, so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads, He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joints. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him 
but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Thanks very much, Terry. As we come to God's word, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that in whatever situation we may find ourselves this evening, in whatever situation we come here to meet with your people and meet with you, we do pray that you would come close to us, you would speak to us, you would give us the encouragement we need to hear and as we cry out to you we pray that you would not be far from us you would draw near you'd be present with us you'd give us strength and we do pray lord that you'd show us that through the storm you are lord of all in jesus name amen my god my god why have you forsaken me I guess we all have at some stage experienced that feeling of rejection or uh, abandonment. Uh, maybe going back years, uh, maybe it was the pain of um, somebody rejecting us. Maybe if you're a bloke here, you asked a girl out and they rejected you. Um, it was that sense of um, uh, you're not wanted. Or maybe if it was a girl, you were waiting for that bloke to ask you out and he never did. Maybe there's somebody you thought you were good friends with and they... They just didn't invite you to their party. Some of these things we can just smile about. But in other cases, such as relationship breakdown, it can cause extreme pain and it can cause extreme hurt. Maybe it wasn't that someone else caused you pain, but when you went through tough times, as we would all do in this life, the people you thought you could rely on for support and encouragement weren't there when you needed them. Being abandoned is the worst thing that could probably happen to a, a human being. And it can leave long-lasting emotional scars. And it may affect our relationship with God. It may have caused us to cry out at some stage, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? I need you. Show yourself to me. Answer my prayers. These are the words uttered by Jesus himself on the cross. And so if we're doing a sermon series on seeing Christ in the Psalms, then in this Psalm we don't have to look very far. The sad thing is that humankind's biggest problem is our separation, our alienation 
from God. But that's not as a result of God forsaking us, but as a result of us forsaking God. And that is the reason why Jesus came. And as we will see, his cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is not just a cry of, of anguish in which he's able to identify with our suffering, but it points to the way in which our alienation from God was dealt with. So we're going to start um, this evening by looking at that predicament, our alienation from God. Have a look at verses 1 to 3. They're pretty desperate, aren't they? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. David here, who is writing this, is calling out. But his cries are met with silence. He has no rest. His mind is in turmoil. He can't sleep through worry. And his turmoil is not just down to the fact that it feels like God is not there. It's because he believes that God should be there. Verses 3 to 5, he's saying that Israel trusted you. Three times he says, trust, 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 and you rescued them. So why, when I trust you, do you not come to my help? And there's this oscillation from what he believes about God to be true to what he's currently feeling. And each section here in verse 1, 3, 6, 9 starts with the word yet or but... Having talked about how God saved Israel, he returns to his own situation. Look at verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Everyone mocks me for, for trusting you. And that makes it even worse because I just wonder whether they might be right. And then he goes back in verse 9 to what he thinks is true, yet... You brought me out of the womb. I'm sure that you created me. I've trusted you since I was a child. We'll come back to verse 11. But in verse 12 to 18, we see David describe the hopelessness of his situation. He's surrounded by enemies. He describes as bulls, as lions, as dogs. Those who are out to devour him, to rip him to pieces. And he just feels powerless. And so he says, my heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth has dried up like a pot shed. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And all this is because of you, he's saying. He's saying at the end of verse 15, you lay me in the dust of death. It's not the sort of complaint that someone who's not a believer would throw at God almost to prove that um, he doesn't exist. It's an acknowledgement of the sovereign power of God, that he is in control, whatever happens to him. But David acknowledges that he feels forsaken by God, but he doesn't complain. And he actually does a thing that we all need to do. He calls out for help. And our response, uh, given our situation, is to do that, to call out to the Lord for help. After all, when we feel the situation is, 
It's hopeless. We call out for help. Someone must be out there who can help me. If you look at this picture here, this is from the film um, Unbroken. I don't know whether any of you have seen that. It's about um, a guy called Louis Zamperini, who was um, an American uh, Olympic athlete who also fought in the, uh, the Second World War. And uh, his uh, plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. And of uh, the whole crew on this bomber, only three of them survived. And they're on this raft. And um, they're in the vast ocean. They're calling out for help. The next day, actually, they spot a plane. And they fire up the, uh, the stress flare. They're calling out for help. But it doesn't see them. 27 days later, they spot another plane, fire up a distress flare, but it's a Japanese plane, and it comes, turns around and tries to shoot them. Fortunately, misses. Um, after 47 days on a raft, one of them by now has died. Um, Louis opens his eyes and says to his remaining crewmen, uh, some good news and some bad news. There's a boat here to rescue us, but it's the Japanese. They take them, but um, they put them in a prisoner of war camp, and uh, the next two and a half years, they're, they're treated ruthlessly. Um, but after the war, interestingly enough, um, Louis suffered for nightmares for, for various years and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. But uh, it was in the year 49, uh, he went to Billy Graham, Billy Graham crusade and called out to God, and uh, he was converted. And uh, since that day, apparently, he never experienced another nightmare, and he was able to forgive his Japanese prison guard, the one who'd abused him so badly. David's first call for help comes in verse 11 after he's expressed how he's feeling. He says, God, do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. His biggest problem is the fact that he cannot feel God's presence. It's almost like he's saying, look, I can go through these problems if I know you are there for me, if you give me the strength to get through it, which I'm sure is something many of us can relate to. Our biggest need is the presence of God, his strength. Even if the suffering doesn't go away, that he gives us the strength to endure it. In verse 19, David makes the same plea exactly again, that you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. He does go on to, to ask God to save him from his enemies. He goes in verse 20, he says, Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then we see an amazing change. Because this psalm is in many ways in two halves. You've got this expression of hopelessness, a calling out for help up to verse 21. And then it shifts very dramatically in verse 22. And now it's all about praise. David has had his call for, for help answered. And so he responds in praise. But before we come on to that, how first of all has God answered his prayer, his call for help? Well, God's answer to our call for help is to save us. And he does that by saving us through the death of his son. 
As Alan pointed out last week, we can't ignore the fact that the Psalms were originally prayed in, in real situations, many by David, who, as we see here, needs rescue from his immediate situation of enemies, probably Paul's, uh, Saul's men pursuing him relentlessly. But they're also meant to be read in the context of humankind's biggest problem, which is, as we've seen, our alienation from God. How does God answer that prayer? Well, he answers it by sending his son to die on our behalf. And for us to understand that, we need to turn to the New Testament to see how Jesus himself makes this connection. Um, Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 27. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page uh, 999. And let me read from verse 33 of chapter 27. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we turn over to to John's Gospel as well, in chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Let's turn back to uh, Psalm 22. Have a look at verse 7 and just hear these words again echoed, the words of that description of Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 7, all who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. 
And look at verse 16. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. What is going on here? Well, what is happening to David who is is calling out is prefiguring what will happen to Jesus Christ. And when it does happen to Christ on that cross, it is proof that um, this was part of God's plan. This is not something that happened that made God somehow need to, to change his plan. This was the plan. And it seems extraordinary because if you remember back to Psalm 2 last week, we, we said that the anointed one, the one God has given authority over the nations, here is a victim of evil. And we can only understand that when we realize that Jesus went voluntarily to the cross. He chose the cross. The soldiers, the Jewish leaders, are are standing mocking him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. But what they don't realize is that if he saved himself, he would not be able to save others. He chooses not to save himself so that others can be saved. He's offering up his life as a sacrifice so that we don't need to take the punishment we deserve. And Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not a desire to understand why he has to go through this. It's, it's an expression of anguish. He is being separated from his father. His father willingly accepts his sacrifice, even if he's grieved by it. And so verse 24 says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. The father has listened to his son's cry for help, not for himself, but for the people he came to save. He accepted the suffering of Jesus on our behalf. And the father had to allow him to go through this because this was his will. That justice would be done. And those people who put their their trust in Jesus Christ would be declared innocent. They would be justified. But of course that's not the end, is it? The father wasn't going to abandon his son to the grave. Jesus tasted death, but was raised to life. Let me read from Acts for you this man Jesus was handed over to you this is Peter talking to the crowd on Pentecost he was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him in Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, 
You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. God the Father did not abandon the Son to death. God raised Jesus to life in order to overcome death and sin. He exalted him to his right hand. And he did that on our behalf. And that is the amazing thing. But I'm sure many of us here accept that. We know that in our heads. We, we've believed that. But maybe we do still feel forsaken. Maybe we don't feel God's presence. And if that is the case, then just remember that Jesus knows exactly what you are feeling. He knows what it is to feel alone and abandoned. One disciple betrayed him. Another one denied him. The rest scattered and abandoned him. He had false charges laid against him. He was mocked right until the end. He knows what it is to be alone. He was separated from the Father, the one whom he'd been with since the beginning of time. But he wasn't abandoned. We are not abandoned. And if you cannot feel God's presence at this time, then call out to him the same prayer that David called out to God. Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. And focus on what God has already done for us. Now the verse that we have there in the concourse is very simple. But very powerful. God showed his love. His love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. Engrave that in your hearts. Engrave that into your minds. And cling on to it when we are going through tough times. When it is hard. Even when we can't understand why God should allow us to feel forsaken. Remind ourselves that he has showed us his love. And he's shown that in an act which will last for eternity. It's an amazing act of love and uh, the only valid response as uh, David turns here now is to worship him, to praise him. In verse 22, David says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. What he's showing here is our response is to offer him both our individual praise but also our corporate praise. You know, when you have those conversations with people about Christianity, you wish you'd said something more or in a different way, and you feel, I just didn't really quite get it across as I would like to have done. I had one of those the other day, and um, um, somebody was uh, telling me how she um, no longer goes to church because um, she was forced to as a child. And I said something along the lines of, you know, we all have to make a choice at some stage in our lives. Um, but I guess what I didn't make clear was that that choice was not about whether we carry on going to church, which in many people's minds, that is the choice, isn't it? I was forced to go to church and I decided not to go to church. That choice, no, is about how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to his death on the cross? Do we really believe he's the son of God? Do we believe that? We need to be forgiven? Do we believe we need a relationship with God? And are we prepared to follow him? That is the choice that we do need to make. Not whether or not 
we go to church. But then there was another conversation with someone who said how disillusioned they had become with church. Um, but she said, well, she still believed in God. She still prayed every night. And again, I said something along the lines of, well, that personal relationship with God is really important. That is the most important thing. But at the same time, don't let um, what some people have done that has changed your attitude about church to put you off being part of God's people. Because after all, when you come together with those who share that same faith, it is an amazing experience you can have. But I guess for many people in that situation, I could have asked, what do you pray every night when you pray? Um, Is it just to pray that um, you've had a good day? Keep me safe. Um, Help me with all my problems. Because the danger with an individualistic faith is that it is hard to praise God, isn't it, for what we've done. And that is the beauty of coming together, the beauty of corporate worship. We come, come together, we can praise God in singing and in praying and encouraging one another. David says here, not just I will praise you, but he says in the assembly, with your people, I will praise you. And he goes on to call others to praise God. He says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. From time to time, we may feel alone. You may feel alone right now. But remember that God also comforts, he encourages us through his people. And we looked at that this morning, didn't we? Um, As Mark was saying, when we can help one another, we can help one another by encouraging one another to continue listening to Jesus, to not stop listening to his word. And that is why the church is God's people, not the institution, is so important. As we come together, we encourage one another in our praise and worship. And we're saying to one another, here, you are not alone. You are not forsaken. We are here for you. And it's also through the church that the good news of Jesus will go out to the world. The psalm ends um, in the last uh, few verses with this proclamation. All the ends of the earth, all the families of the nations, all the rich of the earth. What will they do? They will bow down. They will kneel before him. Why? Because dominion, verse 28, belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. And so it is our duty to proclaim his name, to proclaim to future generations about him, proclaim his righteousness, to tell future generations in the last words of this psalm, he has done it. He's done it for me, he's done it for you. He's completed his work on the cross, the work of reconciliation between humankind and God. We're not forsaken. We are not alone.